I knock on the front door. The Docklands home of Ian McKellen is in a terrace on a road with double yellow lines either side and through which hardly more than one car can pass at a time. The blue door opens, as if by itself, onto a view of books on shelves. No sight of Mackay. Come in. I'll be with you in a moment, a familiar voice calls out. At a glance, the house is narrow, with a long room running its length to a full-width window with a step or two up to a riverside balcony and a bust of Shakespeare. It is on five floors, a lower floor, a ground floor, and bedroom stories. Elegant with stripped wood, the aura is Victorian. It resembles a cabin. Reverse the house through ninety degrees, and I can well imagine it as the below deck of a royal riverboat. Like Cleopatra's barge, the burnished throne which burns on the water. There's a clump, clump, clump behind me from heavy shoes descending a wooden staircase. We hug. We are like family, friends from Cambridge, but haven't seen each other for a few years. I have written to him to request an interview. Although I have known McKellen since 1958, I am here for the first time on a mission, that of would-be chronicler or interviewer. A moment of uncertainty. My eyes move to the window. The image I have is hardly that of a sweet Thames that runs softly while I end my song. But there's a sight of dark water. I think of the strong brown god, sullen, untamed, and intractable, T.S. Eliot's Thames. The vibes are of Shakespeare and Eliot, not inappropriately given McKellen's lifelong love affair with W.S. I know, McKellen says, as if picking up my sense of the view. On this cold grey March day, this is something of an anticlimax. Gulls wheel in the air above. Downriver on one side is Greenwich, while on the other we just get a glimpse of Tower Bridge. We speak briefly of the sheer expanse of water and the industrial landscape on the opposite bank. As if to grace the river with beauty, he has since acquired an Anthony Gormley sculpture of the human body, similar to Gormley's Crosby Beach sculptures in Liverpool, which stands on the tidal beach below. We are about the same height, five foot eleven, but he is more solidly built than me, so probably heavier, and strong in physique with a well-toned skin. He was very good-looking at Cambridge, where most of us never thought of him as gay, or didn't really think about it at all. But now his looks have a rugged authority, encrusting still a basic handsome and youthful presence. His shoes have iron heels. His jeans are well-worn and have holes and glitter adorning them. He sports a heavy-studded metal belt and an open-neck white shirt which reveals his chest, a slight butch or gothic feel to the image. He exudes an easy-going healthiness. It's a real power-dressing display, far from the duffel coats of his younger self. A dentist's chair, a favourite personal effect, a friend tells me, has accompanied him from his previous home in Camberwell. I look around. 
A not very pleasant but brief thought flashes through my mind, of Laurence Olivier playing the Nazi dentist Zell in Marathon Man, with Dustin Hoffman as his victim. I don't ask.